So we're grateful for the waters of baptism that claim us all. Grateful to be able to celebrate with two wonderful families this day. We are reminded as we celebrate Trinity Sunday of the um, relational nature of the God that we worship. And, uh, and so we start a new sermon series this, this Sunday that will carry us through the end of July. We already talked about the title of it, Being the Body. Series kind of come from all sorts of different places. Um, sometimes it's uh, just a moment of inspiration um, when I'm going for a run or talking to one of my friends. Sometimes um, they grow from you, from the church, from Idlewild. Um, I was having a conversation, a couple different conversations actually, over the last several months. Um, folks were talking to me in different ways about what it looked like to be connected to this place. Um, had one particular person on a, a Saturday morning just talk about how they were trying to figure out what it means to continue to be connected to the Church of Jesus Christ in Idlewild particularly. Um, those conversations, they, they are conversations that we have over and over again in life. Often um, we have different stages of our faith journey. We have to come to different relationships with the church. We just ordained and installed 24 new officers last week. If you were here for that, you saw how beautiful it was. We also had a number, almost the same number, rotate off of being elders and deacons. And I challenged our elders in our last session meeting. I said, y'all are leaving the session for now, and that means you have a particular challenge. You are going to have to find a new way to relate to Idlewild Presbyterian Church. For the last three years, or five and a half for some of them who uh, just signed on for a longer term than they ever imagined, um, they've had a particular role here. They have been an elder. That means the, the third Wednesday of every month they showed up on Zoom or in person to meet. They've governed our church in accordance with Jesus Christ. The same with deacons showing up to, to usher and to care and to provide for the care of our community. They have to figure out now a new way to relate to our church. Often I'll talk to uh, parents of high school graduates, those young people who are leaving youth group moving on to college or some other venture in life. And they, the parents will say to me, I'm not quite sure how I connect here anymore. Okay, for 18 years or some long period of time, uh, I have been so-and-so's mom, so-and-so's dad. I volunteered in a particular way to make sure that they were nurtured through their faith journey. Now they're gone, what does my relationship look like? So this is an important thing for us to wrestle with and think about. Other times our schedules can get increasingly busy as our children grow or as we have different things going on in our work life or personal lives. We have to figure out what relating looks like. And then sometimes, perhaps only once in our lifetime, uh, we navigate together uh, a pandemic. We come to this point of navigating that together and we realize that that we gained some new patterns in the midst of pandemic. We got really comfortable in our pajamas with coffee, um, sitting on the couch, and no offense to anyone who's doing that right now. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, about two months into the pandemic, we were doing recordings, and I, I, I got my recordings done early enough where I had all of Saturday free. And so I watched a bunch of my friends online, and I thought, this is what everyone else does on a Sunday morning. This is beautiful. So we get into these other different new patterns, and then we come out, and we have to figure out, okay, how often am I going to try to be present? What, how do I balance these other things that have filled in space in my life? Finally, I'd say 
that we move through different seasons of our spiritual journeys as well, okay? And as those change and shift, we have to relate once again to what it means to be a member of our, a church, right? Not just a member in a, the official you know, way, but more so in the spiritual way, being connected to the body that is here. So what we're going to do is spend the next several weeks through the end of July moving through this series on being the body. And we're going to go through different parts of the body, parts that, that Paul speaks to actually here in the text that we're going to read this morning. Uh, and we're going to, to see how it is that, that God puts together this body that is the body of Christ, that is the church of Jesus Christ, as Scripture tells us. And how are we to relate to it? Or perhaps to relate to it in a new way or once again. So our text this morning comes from 1 Corinthians. Before we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray together. As the good and gracious spirit fall afresh on us this day. Fall afresh on us and quiet any voice within us by your own that we might hear your word for us this day and that in hearing we might be called to lead lives of response. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, going through verse 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as God chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with the greatest honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, 
all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work powerful deeds? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Beloved, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. So when I read this text, I can't help but think of Greg Schiltz. Greg Schiltz was my little league baseball coach when I was in major leagues. Now, growing up, we had... Let's see, T-ball, then coach's pitch, then minor league, then major league, then junior and senior, all the way up. And I need to tell you, I'm not bragging, um, I was a killer T-ball player. (laughs) Coach's pitch, I was the guy you wanted up at the plate. Minor league, I made the all-star team, did this traveling team for a little bit. Uh, Then I stopped growing, and everyone else kept growing. And so Major League, when we switched from, from, uh, from coaches pitching to my peers pitching, and all of a sudden they were six inches taller than I was, and they were standing on the mound, and they weighed, you know, I don't know, 20, 25 pounds more than I did, um, I became much less confident at the plate. So when uh, one of my peers would wind up and throw at me, I would duck out of the way. I'm not quite sure why. But uh, my dad didn't let me quit Little League. I had to keep going. I don't know if I asked him to or not. I ended up playing all the way until I was in high school. By the time you're in high school, if you're playing Little League baseball, um, you're not that great because you're probably supposed to be playing on the high school team, right? Greg Schiltz, um, he drafted me in coach's pitch. He got one of the best players he could get. And then he drafted me again the next year, and then the next year. Uh, And he saw me transition, change over time in this way. But he was a great coach. And he'd always put me at second base. It was where I was most comfortable. And I remember one particular play. Second base is uh, a shorter throw. Your arm strength doesn't have to be all that good, right? And you have your area that you're covering. But I remember there was a pop-up to short right field. And I turned around and I took off running. I wanted to make up for my shortcomings at the plate and so I was gonna be the best fielder I could be. And I ran as hard as I could in the direction of the ball and so did the right fielder who happened to be a foot taller than I was and weigh about 20 more pounds. And he was calling for it but I wanted to call him off And he kept calling for it, and I didn't slow down, and y'all know what happened. We ran smack dab into each other, and he stood his ground because he didn't even know I'd hit him. I went tumbling, right? There's a lot of embarrassments that I had as a young person. 
Um, but wobbly walking off the field and taking a seat on the bench was probably one of the worst. After the game, uh, Coach Schultz came up to me, and he, all the other kids had walked away, and he said, you know, I've been coaching you for a long time, and uh, you need to know that I really I believe in you. I believe in what you can do. You're a good fielder. Um, you play that position really well. But I can't keep you there if you are unwilling to trust the people around you to do their job. When you ran really hard towards right field, when your friend called you off and you didn't listen to him, when you made a decision, I don't know when, to run and that that was going to be your ball to catch, you stopped trusting the people around you. I need you to play second base. That's where I put you. That's where your gifts and skills are. I don't need you trying to play any other position. He stayed extra time with me that night, walked me to my car with my dad, and, uh, and the next couple weeks, um, I tried to, to live on that lesson that he had given me. It was a really important one because what I've realized over time uh, is that that lesson, of course, isn't just a baseball lesson, right? Paul is speaking somewhat to, to that. There are nine people on a, a baseball diamond, right? Um, and then you have everyone that has a position, specific responsibilities that they are to carry out. Paul didn't know what Little League was. But what he knew is that there was this particular way that people from all sorts of different walks of life needed to be bound together. And he knew that they would need an image, right? Maybe not a baseball diamond, maybe not a team. Let's use the image of the body. Why is this image important? Well, we make unique claims as Christians. And one of the most unique claims that we make is that God took on flesh, took on the clothing of humanity as our call to worship said. And so to use the body then is to reiterate the incarnational nature of our faith. This is a unique thing that we are, Paul is trying to tell the early church in Corinth. You are the body of Christ, he says. And then he goes through, kind of comically, through uh, the ways in which the body relates to itself. But it's, it's helpful for them because you can imagine there were some people in Corinth in that early church that were not playing their position. They had been gifted in particular ways. They had been given eyes to see, let's say. And yet they weren't using them as God intended, as would most build up the body of Christ. So Paul says to them, because I am not a hand, if the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Or if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body was an eye, where would the hearing be? The whole body was hearing, where would the sense of smell be? He's trying to let them know each of you has been gifted in a particular way, brought together. And it seems to me that there's actually a lot going on when Paul's communicating this to them. 
First of all, he's telling them that they are connected to the greater whole. We might think that's not something that people need to hear. But what I've realized over time is that we need to be reminded that we belong to each other. Mother Teresa famously said, if we have no peace today, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. That man, that woman, that child is my brother or my sister. If everyone could see the image of God in their neighbor, do you think that we would still need tanks and grenades? We need to be reminded, beloved, that we belong to each other. That becomes critically important when we are navigating the more difficult parts of what it means to be a human. The early church needed to know that they belonged to each other. The second thing that I think Paul is doing, and this one is perhaps more profound for us. The Corinthians lived in a, a culture, in a society, under Roman rule, that was mono in its culture. The idea was, we are the empire. All you need to do is fall in line and act the ways that we tell you you are supposed to act, and you will be protected. Paul is offering a completely counter-illustration to what being faithful looks, at, looks like. Because Paul knows that monoculture is not God's design. The image of the body is actually resistant to monoculture. Part of what Paul is doing is pushing back against the idea of the superiority of cultural homogeneity by saying that diversity is the design of the divine. You aren't all an ear, an eye, a foot. You're all different. And that's exactly how it's supposed to be. Don't listen to what you are hearing out in culture that tells you you're supposed to act a certain way or believe a certain thing, right? And then you'll be safe. No. What we know is that the God of all creation has created each of you uniquely with different gifts and skills. God's design is that we might have unity in the midst of our diversity, that we might be one body, hands and feet, head and eyes. It strikes me that that message is one that fell, that the church failed to live into and continues to fail to live into. The early church in Corinth struggled with it or Paul wouldn't have had to talk about it and even the church now, we struggle with it as well. Last week, about 15 Ottawa folks and a bunch of other Presbyterians uh, were a part of the Pride Parade down on Beale Street. And so when I was thinking about what it looks like uh, to care for all the body and to respect all the different parts of the body, I, I was thinking about our beloved LGBTQIA plus folk who for a very long time and even still have not been told that they are fully a part of the body or they have been told that they are somehow an inferior part. Both lies. The church has often failed to live into this image 
that Paul so beautifully laid out for us so many years ago. And in order to do that, we have to, in order to do it more faithfully, we got to first claim the ways in which we haven't done that well. And then change by the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to walk in a brand new way. There's something else that happened when my little league coach grabbed me after the game and walked with me. Besides trying to encourage me to to play my position, he said, you need to know that you are a part of this team. I have drafted you for the last three years and I'm gonna draft you for the next three years because I love you and because you are a part of our family here. So he did. I'd wait for the call in major leagues and then in junior league and then in senior league and every time it would be Colt Schultz. And every time I would thank him and he'd say, I love you and you're a part of this family. Hopefully what we're gonna learn together over the next several weeks is that we are all connected to each other, bound to one another, not by our own creativity or faithfulness, but by the grace of God, who decided long ago to take on flesh, to be the body in our midst, and then who gifted a teacher to say, we are the body of Christ, the church. What I hope that we are reminded of is that we are all connected, and our connection is critically important that our diversity is actually our gift to the world. And so not only is this image for us a reminder of our connection to each other, but it's also a call to action. The end of this beautiful passage of scripture, Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You, you. You. This isn't a group of Corinthians a long time ago. It's you in flesh and blood sitting in this pew this morning. Together, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There's something beautiful about that charge. Teresa of Avila has a beautiful poem that speaks to the truth, but also the charge and the call to action that comes from being the body. It's entitled, Christ has no body. The words preparation were drawn from it. Christ has no body but yours, church. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. No, yours are the eyes with which Christ looks. Yours are the eyes with which Christ looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are the body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks with compassion on his world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. That means that we, beloved, are to be the body of Christ to a world deeply in need of compassion and of care 
and of welcome and of belonging. Sometimes we've done that beautifully. Other times we have tragically failed. But what I hope is that we learn over the next eight weeks together is that each of us is uniquely a part of this body, gifted in particular ways. Not all prophets, not all apostles, but all a part of the body. It's a gift to us. It was a gift for Paul to the early church. It's a gift to us this day. So we'll spend the rest of the summer figuring out what that looks like and how we are connected to one another and indeed all of creation. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for people and voices that remind us that we belong to each other. For apostles of old and for little league coaches, for saints of your church and for the people sitting next to us in the pews this day. You know the ways that we're trying to be connected to this place, and you know the ways in which we're struggling. You know the transitions that we go through in life, and yet every time you have a place for us to be connected here, a role in a ministry for us to do here. And so what we pray, Lord, is that over the next several weeks together, your spirit might fall fresh upon us, it might enliven us, awaken us to what it is you're calling us to do and be. May we indeed be your body here. May we be that body faithfully and lovingly and graciously. May we trust that you are authoring that within us. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people say together, amen.